So there's been this sea change. Uh, Scotland now has 100% equivalent renewable electricity. And, you know, that's been a massive change in 10 years. Uh, one of the fastest changes in any grid anywhere in the world. Well, welcome to today's Rethink What Matters podcast, where we're all about aligning the economy with the ecology with everyone in order that we can improve business performance, uh, create stronger families and a greener, cooler planet. And today I am joined by Neil Kitching. Neil is the energy specialist for green heat and water technologies, supporting a low carbon economy in Scotland. Also supporting Scottish companies to take advantage of opportunities of the green heat revolution. Separate to that, uh, separate to the work with the Scottish Enterprise, Neil is the author of Carbon Choices on the Common Sense Solutions to Our Climate and Nature Crises. Welcome, Neil. Thank you, Paul. That's a comprehensive introduction. Okay, great, great. Yes, uh, so I work for Scottish Enterprise. That's an economic development agency um, supporting the Scottish Government policy. And our role is to go out and speak to companies and help them with innovation, investment and internationalisation, like uh, helping them with exports. Um, so we're now encouraging all companies that we give a grant to, to either have a net zero plan or be working towards a net zero plan. And uh, so that's now a condition of awarding a grant to a company. And if they don't have a net zero plan, we will work with them and support them in that journey to create one. So it's a, a really strong move forward. Okay, and does that involve them going through the scopes one, two and three then? Uh, definitely scopes one and two and encourage them to look at scope three as well, that's right. Right, and, and how is that assessed then? Is it just that they have to have a plan or are there certain criteria that you're looking for in their in their net zero plans? Uh, we're trying not to be make it too mandatory because uh, there's so many different schemes out there. Mm -hmm. um, we have our own mechanism that we can support them with or they can adopt one of the, the current methodologies that are already out there. Um, you know, the methodology they use isn't so important. It's the fact that they're considering net zero and working towards it that's really important to us. Okay. Is there, are there any examples you could give us? Some, some, something that, uh, that you'd be looking for? I mean, you could have a plan. You can say I'm doing something. But is there something you might be looking for specifically that, that shows they're actually serious about their net zero plans? So in the first year, I guess, a lot of it's based on trust. We will ask the company, do you have a net zero plan? Are you working towards a net zero plan? Of course, it's very easy for them to say, oh, yes, of course, we're working towards a net zero plan. And we might accept that in the first year. Um, but uh, obviously, if they come back to us and ask for a grant again, and uh, they've said they're working towards a net zero plan, we would be asking to see a copy of it before giving any future grants. So this is a journey. It's something that will ramp up and tighten over time. Right. Um, you know, what was your journey to working for Scottish Enterprise and, you know, getting involved in green heat? Have you always been interested in green heat? Uh, I don't think I knew what green heat was until about eight years ago. So, um, yes, when I studied geography at university, I then, uh, believe it or not, trained to be an accountant in London and okay. uh, worked as an accountant for 20 years in a career which was all right, but I didn't feel terribly fulfilled. 
So I then made a big step change to Scottish Enterprise, working in the sustainable development policy team. Right. And that's where I really learned all about sustainability and all these different technologies. So a really good place to be. And then I moved into the energy team and been working on, on green heat for the last few years. So yes, a bit of a change. Well, I think you've been there for about 15 years or so. That's right, yes. And how have you, over those 15 years, what's been your impression of the importance or the interest in green heat over those 15 years? Have you seen a significant change in the last few years? Uh, it's been a massive change. So when I started working in sustainability, um, the big thing was how do we change our electricity grid? Because at the time it was, it was from coal and the electricity was quite dirty. And gas, as I mentioned earlier, was deemed to be quite clean relatively. Um, so nobody talked about heating because they all thought heating is done by gas and that's okay. So there's been this sea change. Uh, Scotland now has 100% equivalent renewable electricity. And, you know, that's been a massive change in 10 years. Uh, one of the fastest changes in any grid anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, uh, but now we're realising that that's not enough. We've got to tackle transport, and that's probably been, being done primarily through electrification, electric cars. Right. Um, um, but the big elephant in the room is, is heat, where 85% of our homes are still heated by uh, fossil gas, and you know that's right. got to change. Could you tell us a little bit more about what green heat means to you? Green heat, so that's uh, any heat for heating our homes, heating our businesses, uh, that doesn't involve emitting carbon emissions to the atmosphere. So um, there's quite a few different types of green heat. Um, the most obvious are things like heat pumps, also heat networks and uh, biomass heating. So there's a number of different technologies, but uh, you know, basically it's moving away from burning yeah. natural gas or what I call fossil gas and uh, also from uh, burning fuel oil and other right. things that are damaging to the atmosphere. So it's also solar panels and it's, um, you know, so it's renewables, it's wind as well. And... In terms of green heat, it'd be solar thermal panels for heating hot water. Yeah. Uh, we don't include uh, solar PV and wind, which is producing electricity. We don't include that in our definition of green heat, but obviously it's all part of our green, low-carbon future. Okay. Let me just understand that a little bit more then. So why would solar PV and wind not be a part of green heat? So we were looking at the way we heat our buildings, not the way we generate our electricity. Okay. So that's the that's the distinction that's the here. That's the, and that's an important distinction, right? And it's important because we use more energy to heat our buildings than yeah. we use um, generating and using electricity. So heat's a kind of hidden emissions that people don't seem to be too aware of, but it's bigger than electricity. So just by decarbonizing the electricity grid and creating 100% renewable or low carbon electricity, that's yeah. not going to solve our climate problem. We also need to solve uh, our transport emissions, our agriculture, and the way we heat our buildings. Um, should we talk a little bit about heat pumps and uh, and the Scottish Enterprise's view of heat pumps? 
Yes, I think the first thing to say about heat pumps is they're not a new technology. They were invented over 100 years ago. Uh, most of us have a heat pump of sorts in our homes already because fridges are basically a heat pump. Um, some people say the, it's a heat pump in reverse, but it's the same technology. And then in countries like Norway and Sweden and now France, heat pumps are being rolled out at scale. And yet in Britain, we seem to be laggards and we, we still seem to think that heat pumps are some strange, new, novel technology that's maybe a bit strange. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. It, it, does, it does come across like that. Yeah. So the, the problem in Britain is, um, I t guess it is down to, to policy um, and just an accident of geography. So the UK benefited from access to fairly cheap natural gas from the, the North Sea. And as a result, we, we relied on that for decades. And we, it kind of enabled us to build houses to a fairly poor energy efficiency standard because it was still fairly cheap to heat them. Mm -hmm. And we got lulled into that. And um, that's very different from countries like Denmark. So they went through the oil crisis, the same as we did in the 1970s. Right. Um, we then developed the North Sea oil and North Sea gas. Uh, the Danes didn't have access to to that and so they went down the the heat network route mm -hmm. and they've been busy installing heat networks through their cities uh, right. towns and even villages um from the 1970s onwards and okay. uh, we just didn't do anything like that here right 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 uh, and so is scotland able to um you know operate differently to england if you like in the way that it sets these I think the, the, one of the challenges is this spark gap, isn't it? The spark spread, the difference between the cost of electricity and the cost of gas. And that's, that's the challenge that the heat pumps face. Is the pricing set differently in Scotland than it is to England? Other parts of the UK? That's a great question. It's a, a complicated landscape. Uh, so most heating issues are devolved. Right. Um, so the Scottish government has a lot of authority and powers around um, say creating heat networks and giving subsidies and grants and creating a good business environment for heat pumps and heat networks yep. um, but there's a couple of big things that are that are across the uk so one is uh, running the the gas pipeline the gas grid that's uh, all uk and uh, also the the price of electricity and gas and gas is um and taxes on it are all from uh, central government. So it's a bit of a complicated picture. Right. Um, but you mentioned the spark spread. That is fundamental. And just to explain what that means, that's the difference in price between gas and electricity. And um, in Britain, uh, for a number of years, the gas, as I mentioned earlier, has been very cheap and electricity has been reasonably expensive and made even more expensive by uh, treasury taxes. So a lot of environmental taxes were put on electricity, but not on gas. And I think that stems from the time when, uh, if you go back 10 years, when we were burning coal for electricity, uh, electricity was actually higher carbon than gas was, and gas was considered at that time to be relatively good and relatively low carbon. Right. But that situation is completely reversed now. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the gas is stayed at the same carbon intensity but the intensity of the electricity grid has plummeted um, through all, all the new uh, renewables and uh, nuclear 
Right. And so it's it's an anomaly that uh, we tax electricity and we barely tax gas. I know that um, I think in the UK there is um, that's, that they're looking at that. I think it's called RENA, the Review of Electricity and Market Arrangements, and uh, I believe that this is to be decided this year and come into force October or November 24 in England anyway, where hopefully this spark spread will be addressed. Um, hopefully, I think that would apply across the whole of the United Kingdom. Okay. Um, but if you compare that with uh, countries like Norway um, that I mentioned earlier and France, yeah. in mm -hmm. those countries, uh, electricity is rel relatively cheap. Uh, yeah. So Norway from hydropower and France from nuclear power. Um, and in countries like Norway, they don't have such an extensive gas network. So the, the spark spread there is much lower. Yeah. And there's a direct correlation between the spark spread and the deployment of heat pumps across yeah, Europe. Yeah. So it's, Probably, it's, I mean, it's fundamental. Yeah. Heat pumps are brilliant, but you're fighting an uphill battle at the moment to try and deploy them because gas is still rel relatively yeah, cheap. Yeah, I mean, the competition is gas, isn't it? And if uh, you know these heat pumps can be two, three, four hundred percent efficient, mm -hmm. uh, but if gas is two, three, four times the price, then you know, you're not getting anywhere, are you? So they've got to be playing on a level for in electricity and gas. They've got to be priced the same so that we can make this move over to clean heat, you know, heat pumps. Um, yeah, so that's good news. And uh, I know that you yourself have installed uh, a heat pump as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, so I was looking at my carbon footprint and yeah. the biggest thing that I can affect is um, the energy use at home. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I ordered a, a heat pump. I was helped by Home Energy Scotland uh, with advice and then with a grant and also a loan. Um, so let me so just uh, come in there. Sorry, just to interrupt. Is that, so that's something which anybody in Scotland can apply for then? Uh, any householder, that's right. Yeah. So there's a £7,500 grant. Mm -hmm. uh, in England and Wales, there's a boiler upgrade scheme and that would offer a £5,000 grant for heat pumps as well. Okay. Um, so I went through the process, got three quotes from installers and um, mine was a bit complicated because I wanted solar panels and a battery as well. Right. And so um, an air source or ground source? An air source heat pump. Yep. So it's a box on the wall outside, um, outside the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And uh, tell us, tell us more. I mean, how did it go? How's it going? Did it, is it all completed now? Uh, it's all completed. It was installed in November. We were immediately plunged into a cold snap last December, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but our house was kept warm, even by a, a seven kilowatt output heat pump, which, you know, doesn't sound very much, but that's enough because you run it for more hours a day than you would a gas boiler. Right. Um, and as I said earlier, the, the price of running a heat pump versus gas would be fairly comparable. Mm -hmm. But there's two or three tricks that you can employ with heat pumps, which uh, brings the price crashing down. And uh, yeah. I estimate that my energy bill now is a half of what it was before. So wow. maybe £2,500 before, which was in line with the national average under the price cap. Yeah. And this year, uh, my estimate is my total energy bill, that's electricity, for heating, lighting, hot water and appliances uh, will be £1,200. So I could perhaps explain a little bit 
why that so, is, because that yeah, might surprise so, your please, listeners. Yeah, please do. Um, did you say, but it was half the price? Is that half the price against gas as it was before? Um, what I'm saying is my total energy bill, electricity and gas, is halved. Okay. Uh, I no longer have a gas bill because the gas has been disconnected from our house. All right. Okay. Um, so please, yeah, tell us the tricks. So really, uh, three tricks. Um, one, with electricity, you can move to cheaper overnight tariffs. Um, okay. So companies like Octopus. So the first thing I did was try to fire up the heat pump as much as possible during the cheap rates and then try and not use it during the expensive rates. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that reduced the price a bit. Um, but also having the solar panels, that obviously provides some free electricity to the house, so that helps a bit. But I think yeah, even more importantly is having the battery. So right. in the summer, the battery is charged up for free from the solar panels, uh, and then that's used to run our electricity in the evening. Uh, so that works really well. Um, but in the winter, and this is a bit that uh, you know people might not be familiar with, we managed to charge the battery at overnight cheap rates. So okay. come the morning, the battery is fully charged, and then that will help to run the heat pump during the day, producing most of the electricity required for the heat pump. So instead of paying 35 pence a unit for all my electricity for the heat pump, I'm paying yep. 20 pence a unit. And so that's a big saving. And so you put all these things in combination right. in a rather complicated way, and uh, my energy bill has halved. Okay. And uh, that's a really important message. That's a very important message. It's a great case study to have on this podcast. Um, and I think we're going to be building on this in, a, in other podcasts as well. So that's great. Thanks very much for sharing that, Neil. Um, so let me just go, go back a moment, though. So you are taking some electricity off the grid still, obviously, to, to power the, the pump. You've got the, 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 you've got the solar panel charging the battery, but, um, there are, but the battery, that, does that drive the pump as well? Uh, so the battery can be used to provide electricity to the house which includes running the heat pump, running your showers, yeah. running your oven, your lights. Okay, the whole thing. Yes. I just, sometimes you've got to, you know, you have a car battery in your head. But how big, how big, how big is this battery? It's uh, it... 15 kilowatt hours capacity. It's uh, three batteries stacked on each other. They're, they're in the garage, they're quite right. discreet. Okay. And uh, aesthetically, how, you know, how, how pleasing or otherwise, if I may be so bold to ask, <laughs> is your... Um, it is your heat pump. Um, so I think it looks quite good. It's a, it's a box. It's a metre and a half. a fan on the side of it? A metre and a half wide, a metre and a half okay. tall, and with a fan on it. Yeah. Um, and it's at the back of our house. Nobody would see it from the front of the house, but yeah. to me it's not an issue. It's complete, no. It's almost completely quiet. It makes about the same noise as a, as a fridge. Yeah. So you can easily see how they could be on the side of every house. I mean, it's not a big deal. Um, most houses could could have a heat pump. Um, I think one issue is you really need to have a hot water tank, and so some modern houses have been built without hot yeah. water tanks. So you need to find space for that. And that could be in your house. It could be in your garage. Right, right, right. Could it be next to the heat pump? It could be next to the heat pump. Normally, it'd be indoors because you, you really don't want it to indoors, freeze. Extra insulation required. Okay, so um, oh, that's a really great case study. It's really good to hear that. 
here, you know, here that's working for you. And you had the grants. So you had a grant. Well, you mentioned three things. A grant, there was something else, an incentive, and a third thing? Uh, I got a grant and also interest-free loans. Okay. I think that was the two things. Those are two things. Oh, a grant and interest-free loans. Brilliant. And, and overall, then, the capital expenditure, was it reasonable? Or, you know, do you, are you going to get your money back? I know it's cheaper for you now. I mean, what, what, what was the, does the business case stack up? I mean, environmentally, it's obviously a no-brainer. I think the first thing to say is yes. It's um, it's all about cutting your carbon emissions. Yeah. You know, there's no point in us all burning gas and uh, frying the planet. So, yeah. To some extent, I push back on the question: Does it stack up financially? Right. Because we we have to do this. But yes. obviously, that's a bit of a dream world. Everybody lives in the real world where they are interested in money. Um, Without the grants, no, it wouldn't stack up at present for retrofitting a house because mm -hmm. you're, you're having to do quite a bit of work around the house. Uh, with the grants, I think it will pay back, but it's going to take, you know, eight to ten years would be my right. estimate. Uh, but it, yeah, it's got a bit complicated because of the heat pump, the solar and the battery, and they all intermingle with each other. So it's quite yeah. hard to single out yeah, what's yeah. cost effective, what isn't. Okay, but it's a great system, great setup, it really is. Something it's a great setup, um, and you know businesses can uh, install heat pumps in their premises as well, and you know that's something through work that we're we're trying to encourage. Yeah, businesses absolutely. I mean, you know, a solar panel with a battery and a heat pump just seems like a brilliant, brilliant solution. Well, the, when you drive around, you see so many businesses with large roofs, warehouses. And you just think ideal for for solar panels, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got we've got the technology, haven't we? You know, we've got the solution. We've just got to we've just got to put all the bits of the puzzle together. And part of that is going to be policy and incentives and grants, just to get people over the hump of um, of getting it installed. And then obviously, the more people that take it up, the cheaper it will become. So the Scottish government's um, got strong policy in this area. So from twenty twenty four. The plan is to, to ban the installation of new gas boilers in new buildings, that's domestic and commercial buildings. And okay. so um, developers will then have the choice of low carbon technologies, which is likely to be heat pumps um, or heat networks in the more built up areas. So right. there's changes coming quite quickly. Uh, I believe England and Wales are likely to do the same a year later. Okay. Um, and then there's tentative proposals to ban the replacement of gas boilers in existing homes, perhaps in 2030 onwards. But but that legislation's not yet been agreed. But the, you can see the direction of travel. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Let's talk about heat networks. I don't think they get talked a lot. People don't tend to talk about heat networks that often. I don't think you know it's more of a community-oriented solution, isn't it? But I think it is something which is again, invaluable because it just works better when more people are doing this together. So could you explain, please, what a, a heat network is? Um, so a heat network is a system of insulated pipes that run under the streets into individual houses to provide your hot water. And then heat is supplied from a central source. Um, so if we go to Copenhagen, because I've visited there and been shown how it all works there, 
Okay. We have an, one integrated network covering the entire city, 98% of the population, a city of, uh, I'm not sure what it is, one and a half, two million people. Wow. So it's very impressive. It's been built out over the last 30, 40 years. And initially, it was capturing the waste heat from the coal power stations and also from energy from waste incinerators. Right. Um, and then gradually, these coal power stations have been closed down and they're now providing the heat still from energy from waste, but also from uh, standalone biomass incinerators. And um, there's some solar thermal input to it mm -hmm. and some heat pumps. So they're diversifying the heat sources into that system. Um, so that's a very impressive setup. They've um, decarbonized their heat across the entire city. So this um, is it's like it's delivering hot water like cold water gets delivered then? Um, it is, but it's in large insulated pipes, quite specialist technology. Yeah, but you, you turn um, your tap on and hot water comes out. Um, no, you don't turn your tap on because this is feeding into your radiator, so it's all oh, yeah, yeah. it's all in a sealed system. So we're not turning a tap on and hot water's coming out because this hot water is obviously feeding radiators. But in theory, we could turn the tap on and hot water would come out in a similar way to the cold water. Um, I think there'd be health and safety issues over that, I would suspect. Yeah, I'm not suggesting anybody does this. But it's yeah, that kind of idea, this hot water is coming out from the ground, supplied sort of centrally, if you like, or obviously of our community network. What a great idea. Didn't the Romans do something like this? I bet they did, if we look hard enough. Um, the Romans did, but on a very small scale and only for a few they, privileged people. Yeah, they used to heat their floors like that, didn't they? I think. You know, what a brilliant idea. What a brilliant idea. Really, it's not even a rocket science, is it, that? And this is the sort of thing we do when we need to, you know? Once we realise that we haven't got an endless amount of energy, um, then, you know, we start being sensible about the way we waste it, don't we? So it's a great That's idea. That's right. Do you have any more examples, Neil, of, of this, of green heat in Scotland? Yeah, so in Scotland, the Scottish government's been very supportive um, of heat networks. Um, there's grants to to help pay some of the capital costs. And I'll just give a few examples because everyone's been a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. So there's one in Stirling near where I live, and that's taking the waste heat from the, the sewage works. The water, wastewater flowing into sewage works is relatively warm. Not warm enough to heat your homes, but it's warmish water that then goes through a heat pump to be boosted up to 70 degrees centigrade to be uh, then put into the heat network. Wow. Um, and that makes um, a heat pump heat network more efficient. So my heat pump at home is taking, uh, you know, tap water at 10 to 15 degrees, whereas the, the one at Stirling is taking warmer water and that makes the whole process more efficient and effective. Right. Um, so that's one example. Um, and then at Queen's Quay in Glasgow, there's a really good example of a large uh, water source heat pump that's taking water from the Clyde, it's tidal, tidal there, the River Clyde. And uh, again, that water is warmer, particularly in winter, than the air. So again, that's more efficient than an air source heat pump. Okay. And there's a big energy centre there, um, built by Renfrewshire Council, and uh, that's uh, then heating houses. There's a nearby college 
and the plan is to then take it to the nearby hospital. So big big plans for expansion there. Mm -hmm. um, another example is at Shawfair on the outskirts of Edinburgh. In that case, it's taking the waste heat from an energy from waste plant. So that's very like the example I gave in Copenhagen. And a final one um, is the AMID scheme uh, again near Glasgow. That's a bit different. Uh, it's taking again the sewage water from uh, the Scottish water uh, sewage plant. And rather than heating it up centrally, it's taking the water that's uh, maybe 15 to 20 degrees, pumping it through pipes. This time they don't need to be insulated because it's not 70 degrees, it's 15 to 20 degrees. The water goes into the nearby buildings and then there's a heat pump in the individual building to heat it up to the uh, required temperature. So yeah. that's a different model and you know one that's quite exciting and, you know, Scottish Enterprises out there helping companies think about all these different uh, technologies and solutions. It's really joining the dots up, isn't it? Where's that waste heat? How can we get it, you know, keep it and put it somewhere useful? Yes, well, you also got waste heat from data centres, from the London Underground, from yeah, supermarkets. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fridges give out an awful lot of waste heat. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot of sources out there. Yeah, and how unique is that solution, that, the, 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 that solution you gave just then to Scotland? Um, that one I was just talking about is uh, certainly uni unique in the United Kingdom, and there's only a handful across Europe. So yes, right. that's that's new. What was the name of that one again? Uh, Amids. Amids. Okay, great. Okay, brilliant. Neil, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Such an insight um, into the Scottish enterprise and your approach to green heat there. And thanks very much for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Paul. That was a Good conversation. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you again.